Today's class, Bhagavad Gita. Recording in progress. Class 23. And we're on chapter 2. We're going to do verse 52 today. So any questions before we begin? Yeah, Sil has a question. You were saying vasanas are the causal body yeah. because they cause this body to act, yeah. right? Cause my personality. Yeah. So the subtle body is the mind and intellect. Yeah. So do you think the causal body is also to do with cause and effect? Because if there's a cause and effect that I have to go through, mm. do you think that causes my personality or desires or modifies them to because we have to we have to get rid of our vasanas because we don't know what they are we also don't know what our cause and effect is from however many lifetimes or this lifetime do you think that causes also my personality mm -hmm. do you think cause and effect Okay. Did everyone hear that question? Magna, did that, did that? Did you hear that question? Okay. So she's saying the. Okay. First of all, causal body. You're made up of the causal body, the subtle body, and the physical body. Those are the equipments you're made of. Physical body we all know, acts. Subtle body we know is the mind and intellect where the thoughts manifest. Where do the thoughts come from? Comes from your vasanas. Where are the vasanas? They're in your causal body. Hence, it's called causal. It causes your personality. So, when you're born, you're born with X amount of vasanas. And that is the cause of your birth. And that develops into your mind and intellect and your physical body, yeah? Your vasanas is the reason you take this birth. Now, where did that causal body, the vasanas contained in there come from? From your past actions, in your previous lives, lives. And because of that, those vasanas, you have taken birth again. Now, while you're acting in this world, as this birth, a sittle now, you have a choice of creating more vasanas or reducing them. Yeah, You're acting on your cause and effect from previous lives. 
Yeah, this is why you've taken birth as a woman. This is why you've taken birth as an Indian. This is why you've taken birth in the UK, whatever. is because of your previous actions, which has created this fastness, and this is where you are now. Now, what we're saying is you have a choice of either creating more vasanas or reducing your vasanas, which is what this subject is about, this topic is about. And that is your choice. So whatever actions you do now, you have to deal with the cause and effect of it later in this life or the next life. So whatever cause and effect, whatever actions you do in this life, whatever new desires, vasanas you create, if you cannot fulfill it in this life, the next life will be your causal body again. Does that make sense? This is the this is how it functions. Does does that make sense to everyone? Any questions on that or clarifications? Yeah. So my question was, my question was, does the causal body my vasanas, is there a correlation with the cause and effect for my causal body, um, is my question. Just how your physical body contains all your organs. Your causal body contains all your vasanas. Yeah, we've labeled it as causal body. But, you know, just for our understanding, it's called a causal body because it's the cause of your personality and that's where the vasanas come from or vasanas are contained. So when your vasanas manifest, they manifest in your causal body. Yeah. So whatever vasanas you create, that's where they are. To, to manifest at some time in the future. Yeah. Don't confuse cause and effect with causal body. Is that okay? Does, does that make sense? She just spung this on me now, by the way. <laughs> she's laughing. Is that okay? Does that make sense to everyone, yeah? All right. You like so? Think about it. So, this chapter two that we're doing now, um, just a bit of an introduction. People who are mind-led mainly go to a place of worship, like a temple, church, mosque, synagogue, etc. They need to be given direction. They need to be told what to do on the spiritual path because they are not thinkers. A person of intellect, a thinker, needs logic and reason, cause and effect. Therefore, going to a place of worship does not inspire them as much. They cannot understand how it helps to be spiritual, bowing down, saying some prayers, seven days fasting, equals world peace. How is that possible? A thinker would think. How is that possible? There's no correlation. There's no cause and effect. A non-thinker, a person who's mind-led, will do it without question. 
I've been told to do this, hence I need to do this. And they'll be, they'll do it happily. We're not um, saying it's wrong, yeah? I'm just explaining. But a, a change in a person who's mind-led is very limited. You'll see people, they've been doing good people. 30, 40 years, they've been, been very religious. They do everything, fasting, doing their prayers, everything they're doing mechanically. Change is very limited. Their personality still stays the same. There is slight difference, but they don't change. Their traits are still there. Now, in this class, most of you are thinkers. You have some degree of intellect, I hope. Therefore, you're attracted to these classes. And the reason is what we discuss has logic and reason. And when you put effort to think, when you gain this knowledge, when you think on this knowledge, it reacts, reacts with your intellect. Intellect is what thinks, reasons. It reacts with that. It makes sense to your intellect. Therefore, the result of that process is what you'll find is that there is change in you. I'm just explaining how it works. Some of you have been coming for four years to these classes, some only maybe six months. Regardless, you'll have seen some change in the way. You'll see some change from the time you started to now. In the way you think, some change in your personality you would have noticed. And if you don't think so, then ask your partner, your family members, they'll tell you. Some will say you've changed for the better, some may say you've changed for the worse. <laughs> but they will say that you've changed. Amrit, Jashnabin, has she changed? <laughs> and this is because the knowledge reacts with your intellect. And because it's the intellect that reason judges, it can change you. You bring someone who is mind-led, religious, does not have an intellect or the capacity to think to this class, they'll not be able to listen for more than a few minutes. What is this person going on about? I can't understand a word he's saying. I can't believe you listen to this man every week. Because they, it, doesn't, it doesn't react with them. That's why this class does not attract large numbers. This knowledge appeals to a thinker, and there are very few thinkers these days, especially in the spiritual path. More mind-led people. That's why in certain um, you know, functions, you get thousands of people attending. Any questions? I thought I'll just introduce that as to the difference. Yeah, does that make sense? Okay. So, missed last week's class, so just a little background, because this topic, this what we're going to do, what the 52 and 53 is a continuation of the last class. 
We're on topic five. Desireless actions lead to self-realization. So verse 50 and 54, if you understand these four verses and you put it into practice, you don't need to do anything else. Verse 50 said, only a human has a choice in action. And you have two choices. You can either take the right choice of action that takes you within to the self within or the wrong choice that is of merely sense gratification, sense satisfaction, satisfying your worldly desires using the five senses. That way of acting keeps you in the world. So how do you take the path to the self within? How do you do that? What's the barrier? Yeah, Benita? Your vastness are the barrier. The vastness. It's your vastness that keep you in the world. Reduce, reduce them, eliminate them, and you go towards the self. God plus vastness equals human being. You can say God plus desires equal human being. So what these verses are saying, how do you reduce, you eliminate your vastness, your desires, the barrier that's standing in front of you? It said, rise above good and bad desires. Why good and bad desires? You might think you're doing charity work, those are good desires. Why should you rise above good and bad? Any idea? Yeah, Vanita? Because all desires accumulate more desires, whether they're good or bad. So and you're still stuck in the cycle. Absolutely. Good or bad, they are still desires, they're still a barrier for you. Good actions create further good vastness, bad actions create further bad vastness. So therefore, you're not actually reducing them. How do you reduce them then? Any idea? How do you, how should you act then? Ravi, any idea? How should you act? Unselfishly, just without, um, without thinking of a goal or self. Yeah. You know, gratifying, you know. Doing what you ought to do. If you're a dentist, do dentists, dentistry. Teacher, just teach. Do based on what you ought to do, whatever manifests, rather than what you want to do. If you act in that way, you no longer create new vastness. You're eliminating, reducing whatever stockpile of vastness desires you have at the moment. So any desire-led action will increase your vastness. Is that okay? It said skill in action, karma yoga. If practiced, it takes you away from the worldly entanglements into the self. 
No desires of the world is desire for the self. Desire for self ultimately leads to a state of zero desires, perfect action. That was verse 50. I'm just covering a bit more recap because I know you're partying last Sunday. You've forgotten by now. Verse 51, the wise united to knowledge of self renounce the fruit of action. The fruit of action here is all the things we look for in the world. What are we looking for in the world? What are the fruits of our action? Sorry, what was that, Meghna? You forgot to turn your mic off. Um, uh, happiness. <laughs> happiness, exactly. We're all looking for happiness in the world. Any desire you try to fulfill is for happiness. Even helping someone, it gives you happiness. You want an education, job, partner, children. It's never ending. Whole life, we're just searching for name, fame, power, wealth. Any action you do boils down to that. Doesn't mean we should not get these things, by the way, yes? Don't become a hermit. What it means, it shouldn't be dependent on these things for our happiness. If I get a good partner, I'll be happy. If I get this job, I'll be happy. It doesn't work like that because everything is changing all the time. We have no control. You marry the most perfect partner, whoever that may be for you. Give it a few years, it'll change. That person will not stay the way he is, or you will change. Nothing stays permanent. So it may give you a few years of happiness, but things change. And it's inevitable because this is how the world is. We have no control over that change. So as you learn this knowledge, you understand what is permanent, what is impermanent. Nitya and Anitya. Nitya means permanent, eternal, the self is permanent. Anitya means impermanent, unreal. Everything in this world is Anitya, impermanent. Because everything in the world keeps changing. Anything changing cannot be permanent. You're always changing. You, even you're not permanent. And what happens in life? All impermanent things we hang on to and whatever is permanent, we leave. This is what everyone is doing in the world. They hang on to everything that's impermanent, changing. And you leave what is permanent. You may be highly educated, PhD, professor, powerful, prime minister, whatever. But you have no knowledge of why you're here, no knowledge of where we came from, where we are going after this life, no understanding of the goal of life. So whatever knowledge you have is part of the world. Anitya, impermanent, limited. 
because it's always changing. Knowledge of the self does not change. It's been around for thousands of years. And it's this knowledge that answers all your questions regarding the purpose of life and how to fulfill that purpose. This is verse 52, I'm covering in more detail. And through this knowledge, you become liberated from the bond of birth. The bond of birth is vasnas. It's the vasnas that keep you in the world from one birth to another, continuous cycle. Because we don't understand how this works. When you have no vasanas, you're liberated from the world, reach the state of self-realization. Hence, when you exhaust all your vasanas, you're free from the cycle of birth and death. So it said, the wise person with this knowledge chooses the path of action that takes them to the self. And all actions are directed to this goal. That was the last, last line Krishna said. Any questions on that? Everyone understands their goal in life. Everyone understands how to gain that, how to get there. Reducing your vasanas. Yeah? All right. Any questions before we start verse 52? Okay. Yadate mohakalilam buddhirvyatittarishyati tadagantasinirvedam srotavyasya strutasyacha yadate mohakalilam buddhirvyatittarishyati tadagantasinirvedam when your intellect will cross the mire of delusion, then you will grow indifferent to what has been heard and what is yet to be heard. So what does this mean? Any idea what this means? It's a bit cryptic. When your intellect will cross the mire of delusion, So this verse, what he's saying is that there are three stages that a human being goes through in his progress, from worldly entanglement to spiritual enlightenment. Three stages. The first stage is of a person totally involved in the world, full of desires, no knowledge of divinity, no knowledge of self. The happy with who they are, where they are, no spiritual knowledge. That's the first stage. Majority of people in the, in the world, human beings, are, are in that state, the first stage. Krishna says this person is, set, is in delusion. Why is he in delusion, anyone? Why is this person in delusion? Yeah, Nilam? Because they think that what they see and experience in the world is all there is. Yeah. And that's reality. Yeah. 
no understanding of the purpose of life. Their purpose of life is make as much money as possible or be as powerful as possible or whatever it is. We see what's going on right now with the, work, with the Putin and Ukraine. What is his understanding? What is his goal? We have no idea. They're all limited to the world. And we just said, anything in the world is temporary. A person in this stage, first stage, is in ignorance. No understanding, no knowledge. But when you get knowledge of the self, of Atman, Brahman, you rise above this delusion. It puts our life in perspective when you gain this knowledge. You see there's something else besides this world, something else than just your personal desires, your gross desires for worldly things. You realize there's something more to life as you gain this knowledge. We begin to understand that this chasing we are doing in the world for all these, fulfilling these desires for name, fame, power, really has no purpose. It's temporary. It doesn't make me happy. You come to start understanding that. You're able to analyze your experiences of life. In other words, as you gain this knowledge of the self, you start removing your ignorance. You start understanding your purpose in life. And this is what it means by you cross the mire of delusion. You cross the mire of delusion, delusion being the world, everything in the world that you're doing. You cross that as you gain this knowledge. You're no longer in delusion. You're no longer in ignorance. As I said, some of you have been coming to these classes for some time. In the beginning, you had no knowledge of the self. You had no idea what we were going to talk about or what I was going to talk about. You had no knowledge of your true personality. You are happy in the world. You are all in delusion. Now you've gained a little bit of knowledge. You've been coming to a few classes. Would you agree you have a bit more clarity of life? Some of you may recognize certain desires, certain actions, not worth fulfilling, it's useless. the uselessness of all you are doing in life. If not, at least sometimes you even question your action. I shouldn't have done that. Why did I do this? Or before you're going to act, you may think about it. This is the knowledge. So since you've been coming to these classes, you have some faith. Maybe there is some truth in what is being said here. It sounds interesting. I should pursue this. Something within is saying, maybe I should pursue this. 
Some of you may have complete faith and think, that's it. I'm going to make my goal to gain self-realization. Everyone's at different stages. Any questions? Yeah, Nilam. Sorry, what was then stage two called then? Is stage, there like, yeah. stage one is when you have no knowledge of the self. Okay. Yeah. We're coming, what I'm describing is stage two. Has it got like a headline? <laughs> Let's, after this first. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Stage one, complete ignorance. Some of you may have been in that complete ignorance before you came to these classes. Stage two, you are gaining knowledge and removing some of that ignorance. Some of you have now set your goal to self-realization. Where do you start? If you're a karma yogi, meaning a person of action, remember there are three paths to reaching the goal. Why three paths? Anyone? Why are there three paths to reaching the goal of self-realization? Yeah, Nilam? One for the mind, one for the body, and one for the intellect. Because we're three equipments. We're all made up of the body, mind, intellect. And here we're talking about karma yoga, which is actions performed by the body. So this is what, so if you're a karma yogi, meaning a man of action or a woman of action, you start by taking on the path of karma yoga as described in verse 50 and 51, acting based on what you ought to do. And if you perform your actions in this way, you reduce the majority of your desires. And when this happens, you have less interest in the world, less interest in sensual experiences relating to the five senses. It says, you will grow indifferent to what has been heard and what is yet to be heard. Meaning, so when you go, when you say is indifferent to what has been heard and what is yet to be heard, it's talking about the five senses that attracts you to the world. Hearing, seeing, smelling, tasting, touching. As you reduce your desires, you become detached from these things, from worldly mundane experiences. You're no longer thinking of the world. I need to go here, I need to do this, I need to buy that for your happiness. Detached from worldly mundane experiences. Instead, you become more introverted. You start looking within. See, if you have reduced your desires, worldly desires, you are less interested in the world. It's natural. You're less interested in the world. So your focus goes from external to internal, naturally. And that's when you move to the second stage, Nilam. In this stage, the mind is less preoccupied with the world, less interested in the world. And because of that, it's able to concentrate, reflect, think of the higher. There's a strong desire to seek the divinity within. And when that, when you reach that second stage, 
you're now ready for the third stage, the final stage that leads you through meditation to self-realization. And this is covered in the next verse. Now, if you don't understand all this, don't worry too much because chapter two, it's, it's like um, a synopsis of the 17 chapters. Yeah. We've got 17 chapters to understand what's in chapter two. So don't worry too much. It's, you know, this doesn't make sense. I'll never get there. How can I do this? You know, don't worry about all that. You've got 17 chapters to understand how to do it, to get to this stage, the second stage. Is that all right, everyone? Yeah, don't give up. This is just the beginning. So when you reach that second stage of indifference in the world, meaning you're not satisfied in the sense of just fulfilling desires, worldly desires does not satisfy you anymore. There's a void. You think, you know what? It's not doing it for me. There has to be more, than, more to life. And then you make your goal to reach the self. You've reached stage two. So now, how do you gain self-realization? Through meditation, you gain self-realization. How do you do that? That's the next verse we're going to cover. You're all there now. You're all at stage two. And we want to do the final action to gain self-realization. We're going to cover that. Any questions? Okay. Uh, Hema, could you read 52, please? Three distinct stages mark the evolution of a seeker from his worldly entanglement to spiritual enlightenment. The first stage depicts a typical person involved in the world who has lost sight of the Supreme Self and fallen into a mere of delusion. Such a person is full of desires. He needs the path of karma yoga, yoga of action, to reduce the bulk of his desires. With the reduction of desires, he develops a dis disinterest in the world, a dispassion towards the objects and beings in it, a sense of renunciation. He turns more introverted. That marks his entry into the second stage, a stage where his mind, withdrawn from its preoccupation with the external world, begins to seek the divinity within. This internal seeking further prepares the mind for deeper contemplation and meditation upon the Supreme Self. In the third and final stage, meditation culminates in self-realization. The verse describes the stage as indifference to what has been heard and what is yet to be heard. In this context, hearing symbolizes all the five sensual experiences of hearing, seeing, smelling, tasting and touching. In a broader sense, it could also include experiences of mental feeling and intellectual thinking. As you drop your desires and reach higher stages of perfection, you become detached, dispassionate, indifferent towards experiences of the mundane world. This indifference is, as, this indifference is an essential pre prerequisite for plunging into meditation. So 
you need to reach that level where you're disinterested in the external world before you can meditate. Any, any reason why? Any, any idea why? Yeah, Vanita? Because your vasanas will bring you back into the world. They draw you back because you still have desires of things. They distract you. You have to go through this process to reduce your desires of worldly desires so you're no longer distracted by them. How can you meditate if you're always thinking of the world? It's difficult. This is what we're going to cover in the next verse now. You become indifferent. Your five senses no longer have the power to fulfill desires in the world because you've reduced them. You've now become introverted, meaning you're looking within. Any questions? Okay, verse 53. Sruti vi pratipanate yadastasyati nishchala Samada vachala buddhi stada yoga mavapsyasi. When your intellect, perplexed by what has been heard, shall stand immovable and steady in meditation, then you will attain yoga, self realization. So, this tells you how to reach that goal. So, you've now reached this. Third stage. In this stage, you now hardly have any worldly desires left because you've reduced them all. Rukarma yoga, bhakti yoga, jnana yoga, whichever path you've taken out of the three, it doesn't matter. You've reached this goal where you have very few desires. You have only one strong desire to fulfill your goal as a human being. To become self-realized, enlightened, become one with Atman, Brahman. You're ready to reach your goal. You've reached the third stage of a spiritual seeker. Now, what is this third stage? This third stage is where through the practice of meditation, you become self-realized. This verse explains exactly what you have to do when you meditate in order to reach that goal. Now you might say, well, how do we know this works? Just because it's written there, how does it mean? Well, how, does it, how do we know? So this process has been tried and tested by great sages, and it is they who are explaining the process, showing us the way. They've already done this. They've experimented sitting in the caves for how many years practicing? And through their experience, they're telling us, this is what you need to do, guys, to get to this goal. Now, 
What stops you from meditating? Anyone? What would come in the way of meditation? Yeah, Shashi. Anyone who's meditated will know. Your thoughts. Your thoughts, yeah. Where are the thoughts? Constant chatting in your mind. In the mind. So what stops you from meditating is your mind. It's the nature of the mind, as she said, constant chit-chat of the mind. See, if you observe, you sit in a corner for five minutes. Just observe your mind. What is going on? If you observe, you'll see the mind has got a continuous flow of thoughts. It's constantly jumping from one thought to another thought. Anyone who's meditated will, will know this. It keeps jumping. Seeking pleasures of the world. You can't fix it on one thought for more than a few seconds or for maybe someone who's got more of a steady mind for a few minutes. That's it. The thoughts in the mind move either from place to place, i.e. object to object, you know, I have to do this today uh, after this meditation. What do I need to do? And then tomorrow, oh, yes, I have to go here. I have to go there. That's what the mind is doing. Place to place, object to object. And if you've practiced it quite a practice meditation a little bit, you may be able to keep it on one thought rather than it jumping around. But even then, on that one thought, you cannot fix it. It keeps wavering can't stay on that one thought. You try it. I'm explaining it, but you try it, and then you'll have a better idea. Observe your own mind. So it's constantly wavering, creating agitations. That's why the mind is referred to monkey mind. It's this constant dithering of the mind which stops you from meditating. Your mind, my mind, everyone's mind. Yeah, we're all in the same boat. And this is the core, this is the problem. Why you can't meditate. So how do you stop it from jumping? Any idea? How do you stop it from jumping from one thought to another to another? Anyone? What's it jumping to? What is it thinking of? What is your mind thinking of? All of our minds. Desires. Desires. Worldly desires. It's thinking of worldly desires. But you've all reached the third stage. You've already reduced them quite a bit. So your mind is no longer jumping on the world and fulfilling desires. Because you have very few desires left, yes? So now you sit down to meditate. Hardly any worldly desires. You just want one, you have one strong desire, reach the self. So you sit down to meditate. What you'll find, the mind is no longer jumping. The thinking of only one thought. But even when it's thinking of that one thought, you can't concentrate. It keeps wavering. You can't focus it. 
still moving around within that one thought. No concentration. So what meditation does, through the practice of meditation, the mind is stopped from wavering on that one thought. Through meditation, you keep that one thought. You concentrate on that one thought. And you keep the mind there. What is meditation? Meditation is the art of maintaining the mind in sharp focus upon a chosen thought to the exclusion of all other thoughts under the supervision of the intellect. This is what meditation is. Meditation is the art, the art meaning you have to practice it like any art. Yeah? Meditation is the art of maintaining the mind in sharp focus upon a chosen thought to the exclusion of all other thoughts under the supervision of the intellect. So how do we do that? So you're sitting in a corner, very few desires. You choose a mantra to concentrate on. It could be anything. We normally say Om. So you're sitting there, legs crossed, hands are on your knees, eyes are closed, comfortable place, quiet place, and you start chanting the mantra. Om, Om, Om. The mind is doing that. The intellect is witnessing the chant. The intellect is observing the mind chanting. When the mind slips, Om, 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 Om. What do I need to do? I need to do something today. Om, the mind is gone. What am I cooking tonight? Shilabin? What do I need to cook tonight? Oh, yes, yes. Om, Om. This is what happens, yeah? The intellect sees that this is going on. Hey, stop that. Bring it back. When it slips, the mind slips, the intellect brings it back to the mantra. Om, Om. You continue that. This is how you meditate. And this is what the, the job of the intellect is when the mind is chanting the mantra. So whenever it wavers to another thought, the intellect brings it back to the mantra om. Does everyone understand that? Does that make sense? Yeah? You, ha you have to practice this, by the way, yes? And this takes time. It takes a lot of practice. And it's based on the strength of your intellect to be able to bring it back to that one thought om. Is the mind more powerful? Is the intellect more powerful? There's a battle. So your intellect has to be strong enough to keep the mind focused on that thought. And that's why we say develop the intellect. So, okay, you've been meditating for a few years. You've now got it down to an art form. Your intellect is developed and you're able to control your mind. So now you're chanting 
the mind is chanting om 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 it's no longer wavering when it wavers the intellect brings it back om om slowly slowly you start reducing that chant om 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 to whisper The intellect is observing this process until there's silence. What happens in that silence? No more thought flow. There's no more thoughts in the mind. When there's no thoughts in the mind, there is no mind. Mind is extinct. The intellect is observing this chanting, but there's no more chanting. There's no more thought flow. The intellect is perplexed, it says. When the intellect perplexed by what has been heard shall stand immovable. So the intellect is observing this chanting. Now suddenly there's no chanting. Intellect doesn't know what to do. No more thought flow. Intellect is perplexed, stunned in the silence. What is perplexed? I'll give you an idea. Example, perplexed, mystified, means when the intellect does not know what is going on. You know, you go to see a magician, David Copperfield. They're doing this magic tricks. They perform this illusion, chopping a lady in half or, or teleporting from one end of the stage to the other end. The intellect does not know how it is done. What, how did he do that? It is perplexed, wonderment. Wow, how did he do that? Intellect has no idea. That's what it means by being perplexed. So now, no thought flow in the mind. Mind is extinct. No more intellect. There's no thoughts to observe. No more intellect. What is left? What is left? Mind not doing, mind is no thoughts, intellect not doing nothing. What is left? The self. The self. The silence reveals the self. You have attained yoga. One merges with reality. One becomes God. That is the process of how to reach that stage, how to gain that goal of self-realization. This is how it's done. So if I ask you, where is the self? What is the answer? Where is the self? Anyone? Whoever's followed what I've just said will know. Where is the self? Yeah, Nilam? I was going to say in the silence. In the silence. Where is the silence? In the absence of thoughts and mind Absolutely. and intellect. Where, so if you ask where is the self, the answer is look between two thoughts. The self is always there, but you don't recognize it because the mind has so many thoughts. 
no thoughts. The self is there. So the self is between two thoughts right now when all of you, but because the thought flow is so strong, we don't recognize it. There is silence between every thought, between two thoughts. That's where the self is. You are now the self. See, you all are the self, covered by vasanas, covered by the intellect, covered by the mind. Now there is no mind, no intellect, no vasanas. What is left is the self. You see, you know the circle that we drew. Self in the middle, vasanas, intellect, mind. No mind, no intellect, no vasanas. Only the inner circle, the self is left. And this is the process. Nilam. Nilam, could you read the verse? This verse depicts the drama of self-realization. When you transcend your mind and intellect, you're transfixed in the supreme self. You become self-realized. You're said to attain yoga. Yoga here means the ultimate union with self, becoming one with God. The mind is a continuous stream of thoughts. The thoughts of the mind run wild in all directions, seeking pleasures of the world. It remains agitated even when it is not directed outward. The mind has two types of movement, one from place to place, the other within a place. That is, it moves from object to object and wavers when fixed on one point. Both these movements of the mind must be checked. A roving and agitated mind cannot concentrate, much less meditate. The process of karma yoga prescribed earlier checks the mind's moving from thought to thought by reducing desires. The practice of meditation stops the second type of movement by training it to retain, sorry, remain steady on a single thought. The strategy of meditation is to converge the mind to a single pointed thought and ultimately crush it out of existence. In meditation, the mind chants a mantra, a word symbol, which the intellect observes, witnesses the chant. During the chant, the mind will sometimes slip into other thoughts. It rambles. The intellect attempts to pull the mind back to the mantra. Meditation is the art of maintaining the mind in sharp focus on a chosen thought to the exclusion of all other thoughts under the supervision of the intellect. After the mind is kept aloft in single pointed focus, the chant is gradually reduced to mental whispers and allowed to die away in silence. The intellect remains aware of the entire proceeding until the moment of silence. In this silence within, the mind has become extinct because the thought flow has ceased. Consequently, the intellect is perplexed, stunned, transfixed in the silence. That silence reveals the pure self. In the silence, the individual merges with the all-pervading reality. He becomes Brahman, God. 
Thank you. Any questions? So that is the art of meditation and the goal of meditation. When you try to meditate, when your mind's not prepared, it's very, very difficult. In fact, sometimes it could be dangerous. Even in the ashram, when we study there for three years, we, only, we, we do meditation for about four or five minutes in the evening just to get an idea of what it feels like. Just for four or five minutes. Because no one's mind is prepared for it yet. We have so many worldly desires, so we're not prepared for meditation. This is the process of how you prepare the mind before you meditate. So that's the end of topic five of chapter two. Any questions from anyone about the meditation or preparing the mind? Did, does it make sense? I'm not sure if I explained it clearly, but did most of you get the gist of it? Yeah, good. Yeah, just nothing. So um, when you're meditating and you have a glimpse of that silence, are you, and then we go back to thinking, we need to make that time longer and longer, and then eventually it will be Permanent? Yes. Okay. You, experience, you have that experience and it becomes a permanent, permanent experience. You're still back in the world thereafter. You don't die. No, 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 not like that. But as in like your mind comes back and you start thinking thoughts again. Yes. I've, I've done meditation and I did like this. It wasn't very long. It was like three or four seconds where there's absolutely nothing. And then your thoughts start coming back again. So in the, what the meditation we're talking about to reach the goal of self-realization, it's a permanent experience. Okay. Yeah. Thereafter, even if you come back in the world and you do come back in the world, you're still acting. You're still acting on your desires. You still have certain desires, yeah, which you're acting on, but it's a completely different game afterwards. You know, you see all these gurus, self-realized souls, they're still acting in the world, even though they're self-realized. How would they have explained this to us hmm. otherwise? But their life is very different. Your life would be very different if you had this experience. So before I started these classes, I had one where I was like, literally no thoughts whatsoever. And I scared myself because I thought, oh my God, what is this? I should be having thoughts. And this is, you know, about four or five years ago, before we started, and I didn't understand it. Yeah, no, now you understand it. You should have but stayed now there. I do, and now I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> should have stayed there with no thoughts. <laughs> don't be scared. See, you're scared of the unknown. Before it was unknown, now you know. Yeah, and now it doesn't come back. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> to go through it all over again. Yeah. Any other questions? Yeah, so. You know, um, we talked about the timing of Sattva, Rajas and Tamas time frame. So in relation to meditation, is there a time frame? So would it be more beneficial for us to even attempt, even if it is those two, three minutes, 
during supper time. Yeah. Yeah. So she's saying if you wanted to try meditation, when would you do it? Sattvic time. Because during the sattvic time, the mind is still half asleep. It would be easier to do it in the morning if you're going to try the meditation. It will be more successful. So anyway, we don't need to worry about this verse right now. Yeah, we've got 17 chapters to go to get to stage two. Then we will worry about stage three, yeah? But that's why, as I said, in chapter two, it gives you a synopsis of everything. You know, he's talking about meditation to reach that goal of self-realization in chapter two. We haven't even started the Gita uh, as to uh, the rest of the chapters. So that's why really chapter two should be at the end. But the reason it's in the beginning is because Krishna is trying to explain to Arjuna. Remember, we said Arjuna thought Krishna was his friend. He doesn't know that he's this divinity, this self-realized soul. So in order to wake him up, is giving him the highest knowledge, knowing full well Arjuna doesn't understand a word Krishna is talking about, knowing full well, but he's bombarding him with this. So there's like Arjuna wakes up and says, Krishna, where'd you get all this from? I didn't know you knew all this. Yeah, just to wake him up from that slumber. And this brings us to topic six, because Arjuna wakes up. This is the first time he wakes up and he asks a question to Krishna. He says, I'll, I'll chant the chapter verse for you. We'll cover it next week. I'll just chant it. Arjuna uvacha stita pradnasya kapasa samadishtasya kesava Arjuna said, what is the description of one of steady wisdom merged in the superconsciousness state, O Kesava? How does one of steady wisdom speak? How does he sit? How does he walk? Jashnabin, as you just asked me, is roughly related to this question Arjuna is asking. So you, you've woken up. Yeah. What happens when you reach self-realization? This is exactly what Arjuna is asking. Okay, so what does this person, how does he talk? How does he walk? How does he behave, Krishna? He's in the middle of a battlefield waiting to fight and he's saying, how does a self-realized person behave? He's asking Krishna. You see, so he's woken up, but he's not really really there yet. He doesn't realize he's got to start fighting in a minute. So that we'll cover next week. And then Krishna answers his question. The, the whole of topic six explains what and how does a self-realized person behave. And when you understand that, who knows? You may have someone you know that may be Wow, this person could be it. Right now, you don't know. So, any questions before we finish? So, we'll discuss and start topic six.
description of an enlightened soul. Great. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Have a lovely week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. We'll have group discussion on Tuesday. To whoever wants to discuss this further. <laughs>